but greetings and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series Online Edition. I'm Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Uh, thank you for joining us for tonight's book talk on Mystical Forest, Collected and Short Stories of Dungan Ethnographer Ali Zhang by Kenneth J. Yin. Uh, John is widely regarded as the preeminent writer on the material and spiritual culture and history of the Dungan people, uh, the Sinophone Muslims of Central Asia. Uh, he is also the author, of, uh, well, uh, Professor Yin is also the author of uh, Dungan Folk Tales and Legends and presented about it at the Institute back in fall 2021. That video is available on our website. Please uh, feel free to watch that uh, after this talk. Uh, Professor Kenneth J. Yin teaches modern languages, literatures, and linguistics at the Department of Education and Language Acquisition at LaGuardia Community College, CUNY. Uh, his research interests includes Dungan literature and culture, as well as Tunga's literatures and cultures of North Asia, and the focus on Nanai and Udegya. Uh, a graduate of Cornell University and Georgetown University, he has received fellowships and awards from the American Council of Learned Societies, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard Universities, and not included in this bio, including PSC CUNY grants and also last year's uh, CUNY uh, uh, Brezzi grant, uh, Black Race Ethnic Studies uh, Initiative. And without further ado, please welcome Professor Yin. I'm so uh, uh, I'm pleased to be able to bring you um, a lecture today about um, my uh, English uh, language edition of the collected poems and short stories of Dungan ethnographer Ali Jean, who is the leading ethnographer of the Dungans, as well as a creative writer. And um, his collected writings that I will be talking about today span more than half a century from 1969 to 2021, um, bridging the Soviet and post-Soviet periods. So um, to give you an, um, an outline of today's presentation, basically, I, I would like to talk about uh, four areas during the roughly 40-minute lecture. First, first, I'd like to give a brief introduction to the Dungan people. Then I would like to provide some brief biographical facts about Dungan ethnographer Ali Jean. Third, I would like to provide a bit of theoretical framework for the study of Jean's ethnographic poetry and narrative. And finally, I would like to um, talk about Jean's uh, poetry and prose fiction, which are in the um, English language edition. So the, uh, the Dungans are uh, descendants of the Hui people, um, known as Huizu in Chinese, um, who are the Sinophone Muslims or Chinese-speaking Muslims in China. So uh, they, the Hui are an ethno-religious group um, numbering approximately 10.5 million, according to the 2011 Chinese census. And as you can see on the map here, they are distributed throughout China and mainly in the northwestern provinces and the central plain, known as Zhongyuan region in Mandarin Chinese. The Hui are one of 56 uh, ethnic groups officially recognized by the People's Republic of China, or PRC. And the PRC government defines the Hui to include all historically Muslim communities not included in China's other ethnic groups. Um, so next I would like to talk about the migrations of the Hui to uh, Central Asia. So these Hui in Central Asia are commonly referred to as the Dungans, 
And basically, there have been uh, three major waves of uh, migration from northwest China to Central Asia. So the, the first was in the winter of 1877 to 1878, in the immediate aftermath of the failed Dungan Revolt, which lasted from 1862 to 1877. This is also known as the Tongzhi Huiluan, um, which is how it's known among the Dungans, um, or the Hui Minorities War. So uh, Tongzhi was the emperor of the Qing Dynasty during the time that the, the revolt was actually fought in the 19th century in Western China. So then the second major wave of migration was from 1881 to 1884, following the signing of the Treaty of St. Petersburg in 1881, which restored to China the upper Ili Basin in Xinjiang, which had been occupied by Russian troops since 1871 during the Dungan Revolt. <clears throat> and then more recently, in the first part of the 20th century, until the border was closed between the PRC and the Soviet Union in the early 1960s, following the Great Chinese Famine, um, of uh, roughly from 1959 to 1961, there has been another uh, large wave of migration. Although this is less well documented than the than the um, earlier two waves. So as you can see from the map here, um, the Dungans today live in uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Eastern Uzbekistan, as you can see from the green hatched area. So just a few um, basic facts about the Dungans in Central Asia. Uh, by tradition, they are Sunni Muslims of the Hanafi school like most of their Central Asian neighbors. Most of the original Dungan settlers were poor, illiterate peasants or small urban craftsmen. Um, the Dungans, in terms of family structure, have traditionally had large families, often with between six and eight children, and they enjoy a reputation as a hardworking and prosperous people. And most of these facts about the migration and these basic facts about the Dungans that I've given are from Svetlana Rimsky-Korsakov-Dyer, who has um, written quite a bit about the Dungans um, in English. Um, so according to the latest census data available as of 2020, there are an estimated 150,000 Dungans, and this is the figure that I give in my um, first publication, um, Dungan Folktales and Legends, which was published by Peter Lang in 2021. And in terms of the, the numbers, um, there are roughly even numbers today of the Dungans in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, about um, 74,000 in Kyrgyzstan and a, a little bit under 73,000 in Kazakhstan, and roughly 3,000 in Uzbekistan, according to 2009 estimates of the Dungan Cultural Center of Uzbekistan. And... Um, more recently, there's been a migration of Dungans from Central Asia to Saratov Oblast in the southeast of European Russia. But this began only in 2000, and as of the 2010 Russian census, there have only been um, slightly over 1,600 Dungans counted, but it, that's a growing um, community. Now I'd like to speak about 
um, the the main subject of of the book, Miss Scofords, which who uh, which is the Dungan ethnographer Ali John. So he uh, he was born in um, 1951, and he holds the rank of senior researcher, Starshi uh, Nauchni Satrudnik in Russian, in the Dungan and Chinese Study Center of the National Academy of Sciences of the Republic of Kyrgyzstan um, in Bishkek. So he holds an honorary title as honored worker of science. In Russian, this is Zasluzhny Zeytel Nauki of the National Academy of Sciences of the Kyrgyz Republic. So in addition to the traditional um, research work he has been engaged in as, as an ethnographer since 1978, John began pursuing creative literary modes of, of expression uh, as early as 1969, while he was a student of literature at the Perzhovalsky State Pedagogical Institute in the Kyrgyz Soviet Socialist Republic. So uh, John's creative writing is rooted in his experiences as an ethnic Dungan in Central Asia during both the Soviet and the post-Soviet periods. Um, in addition to his creative writing, John has published more than 50 scholarly monographs and articles in Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Russia, China, and Japan. His works in Chinese translation um, appear, in fact, under his Chinese name, Zhang R. Li. Um, in terms of uh, John's major scholarly works, um, I would I would like to mention his first scholarly book, which was published in 1986. It's called um, The Material Culture of the Dungans, Settlement, Farmstead, and Dwelling. Um, in 2007, Jean published his books, which I've translated as Dungan Customs, Rituals, and Beliefs. And um, there was a, an expanded and revised second edition uh, published in Russian, in Dungan, and in the Kyrgyz languages, and these all appeared in 2016. In the same year, in co-authorship with Ishar Suvazovich Shisir, uh, the textbook um, titled Native Speech, a Fumo Yuan, written for Dungan school children in the second and third grades was published. And then finally, I'd like to mention that in 2009, his scholarly work, which uh, I'm translating as the Dungans and the Belovodskaya uprising of 1918 in Pishpek Uyez, which is dedicated to the tragic events that befell the Dungans during that period, uh, was published. And what you see on the screen is an undated photo of Ali Juan. I'd like to show you a few photos from uh, Ali Juan's personal archives that actually appear in the English language edition of Mystical Force in the introduction. So this first photo um, shows the Jean family in 1973. Uh, Jean is in the front row on the far right, and seated next to him are his mother, um, who's an ethnic Russian, Valentina Sergeyevna Formin is her middle name, uh, her maiden name, and next to her is um, his father, Ali Suleimanovich Jean and their, um, his seven siblings, brothers and sisters. 
This is another a photo from Jean's personal archives. It shows Jean on the right with his younger brother, Vien Yamin, in 1974, when they, dur- during the time that they were both serving in the Soviet army, but happened to be back home in um, uh, Central Asia on a break. And uh, and one final picture is a very um, inter- interesting and telling picture of Jean in 1981 with his Dungan friends in the back standing. He is the third from the left and the na- national poets of Kyrgyzstan. So the um, national poets um, on the in the first row from the left are Ali Tolkambayev, who wrote under the pseudonym Balka. Then it is um, you see Yasser Shivaza, who is the um, the well known uh, Dungan poet. And then on the right, seated next to him, is the Kyrgyz poet Musa Jangaziev. And this was photo was actually shot near the House of Culture in Russian Dom Kulturi in Alexandrovka in the Chui Oblast of the Kyrgyz Soviet Socialist Republic for an event in 1981 commemorating um, Shivaz's 75th birthday. Okay, so now I'd like to um, discuss some of the uh, theoretical framework for um, the um, collection and the and the and the study. So um, this is an unusual collection in that uh, John. Um, is a native ethnographer, meaning that he is an ethnic Dungan who is documenting the, um, the, 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 the lifestyle and the culture of the Dungans. Um, so, so ethnography, um, is a branch of anthropology that's concerned with the systematic study of individual cultures, mostly using participant observation. So Jean, therefore, stands out, as I said, as this native ethnographer and ethnic Dugan studying his own people, when the classic ethnographic paradigm has been that of the non-native ethnographer or someone on the outside looking in. Uh, so the second point that I'd like to briefly discuss is um, that of literary anthropology or anthropological poetics. So the development of literary anthropology gained momentum in the 1980s, but it originated in the pioneering work of Claude Lévi-Strauss, um, whose work on kinship structures in the 1940s um, and whose study of myth turned the attention of anthropologists to the important and neglected dimension of language. Since the mid-1980s, anthropology has become more open to literary theory and literary forms, with ethnographic poetry thus gaining increasing acceptance as a mode of representation. This is also true for related social science fields, and there has been a proliferation of experimental approaches to ethnography since the 1990s, which has led to the increasing visibility not only of ethnographic poetry, but also of ethnographic fiction, memoirs, biographies, or a pastiche of various forms. And what you see on the slide here is the uh, French anthropologist uh, Lévi-Strauss uh, in 1936 um, in Brazilian Amazonia.
Third, I'd like to speak briefly about uh, Russophone studies. So, um, Rus uh, with within Russophone studies or the um, study of a Russian language literature, Russophone literature um, is can be broadly defined as literature written in Russian language by authors who do not identify as Russian and can be considered within the broader transnational and post-colonial framework that has been rapidly emerging in Russian, East European, and Eurasian literary studies. So Russophone writers such as um, Jean find themselves at a distance, therefore, from civic, national, or ethnic conceptions of Russianness. So one of the main researchers in this area of um, Russophonia or a Russophone literature is Naomi Cathy, who um, finished her PhD at UCLA on uh, Russophonia and is currently teaching at Reed College. Uh, she has proposed the, the term Russophone as an open-ended designation for authors and their texts and Russophonia um, to refer to the sum total of environments, including social, linguistic, and geopolitical in which authors write and live. So this idea of Russophonia ultimately speaks to the decolonization of Russian literature, giving a voice to those who may have been relegated to the peripheries of Russian literature or altogether overlooked. So the current English language edition of Jean's writings is so significant because it traces the body of work of a unique author over a span of more than half a century, specifically the formerly Kazakhstani and now Kyrgyzstani author of both Dungan and Russian ancestry from the period 1969 to 2021. And fourth and finally, I'd like to make um, a few comments about Sinophone studies. So uh, Dungan literature is understood in a broad sense to encompass oral or written literature produced in the Dungan language, which is a Sinitic or Chinese language, um, or literature arising out of Dungan culture. So the publication of John's collected poems and short stories in English translation represents such, an, such a uh, critical contribution to Sinophone studies as it will help to draw more global attention to the unique case presented by the Dungans in the Sinophone debate. So the relation between Chinese cultural identity and the use of Chinese written characters is a frequent topic of discussion among historians of China. The Dungans have never, however, used sinographs or Chinese written characters to record their language. Yet they have managed in diaspora to maintain their Chineseness to a very large extent. And this has been well documented. So the, Dun the study of Dungan cultural identity in all its aspects, including the examination of the exceedingly rich and extensive literary tradition of the Dungans, offers critical insights into this issue.
Okay. So now I'd like to um, turn our attention to um, the um, the volume, which um, has just appeared in January of this year. So um, this uh, this volume is one that I actually began uh, working on in um, in 2015. Once I was had learned about the the creative writings of this leading Dungan ethnographer, and I was able to make contact with him, um, and I, so I began the project in earnest in 2015. So um, uh, the uh, the uh, edition includes a foreword by the well-known Dungan poet uh, Ishar Shishisir, who I just mentioned, and um, as well as 103 poems in nine chapters and four short stories in an additional chapter, um, as well as a an introduction, which um, includes... Um, a brief biography of John, um, John's own comments on the title poem called Mystical Forest, um, a personal message to readers from John that I translated from the Russian, and then um, quite an extensive um, bibliography of his selected works, uh, mainly scholarly works that I, um, that Jean specifically compiled for this English language edition. And it also includes the two um, published editions of his Russian language poetry as well. Okay, so now I'd like to take you through um, a, a sort of table of contents of the 10 chapters of his creative writings, the, the first nine being the poems organized uh, according to thematic groupings. So the first uh, group of poems I'm, I'm uh, calling Poems of Rumination. And here you see um, one of the poems, uh, uh, February 7th, to 2020, and that's a, uh, a very um, interesting and significant poem because it it's the date when inter-ethnic conflict uh, broke out within the Kordai Rayon or district of Kazakhstan during the recent Dungan Kazakh ethnic clashes that occurred um, from uh, in, in early February of that year. Chapter two of the edition features poems of autobiographical nature. Chapter three um, features poems about family. And there are a few, uh, there are two dedications that you can see to his wife. Um, another poem specifically uh, also to his wife and um, also poem dedicated to uh, one of his two sons and also his granddaughter. Chapter four um, uh, comprises poems about love. Chapter five is um, has poems of friendship. And here there are several poems dedicated to his uh, good friends and often also colleagues. For example, Ishar Shisir, the well-known Dungan poet, as well as to Yasser Shivaza. Chapter six comprises uh, poems of nostalgia. So this includes mentions of um, several of the places that uh, Jean has visited, both in Russia as well as in Central Asia. Chapter seven 
contains poems of melancholy. And the second poem you see here is um, called Emulating Sergei Yesenin, the well-known Russian uh, poet who is um, one of Jean's uh, favorite writers. Chapter eight, poems of nationalistic character. Here, uh, I will just point out the second poem, which is a dedication dedicated to the Dungan woman. And then the second to last poem, dedication to Jean Kasim uh, and all the veterans of the Great Patriotic War. Um, he, uh, his, this is his uncle, the older brother of his father, and he was missing in action near Stalingrad at the end of the Great Patriotic War or World War II. And um, Juan Kasim was a well was well known among the Dungans as a jeweler who crafted traditional pieces and had was also in the 30s the artistic director of a professional music ensemble that performed folk tunes at the Philharmonic of the Kyrgyz Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, chapter nine contains uh, poems of religious character. And finally, chapter 10 um, comprises Jean's four original short stories. So uh, these are uh, very interesting. The Bicycle is a story about a Dungan use attempt to retrieve his treasured bicycle which leads to important revelations of identity and self. Tales of Grandmother Mayan um, is a story in which uh, grandma, Grandmother Mayan tells her young grandson about the strange goings-on in a vacated neighborhood house that the villagers believe to be cursed, and a mysterious incident soon ensues on the manor. Um, last song? Uh, is a story in which uh, there is a search for the meaning behind a sad melody played by an old man on his kamus, which is a three-string fretless lute used in Central Asian music. And finally, Bitter Root is a very um, interesting story structured as a dialogue or playlet. And the story follows the life paths and mutually unanswered yearnings of an unnamed man and woman, beginning from their school-age friendship through their time as parents to growing children. Okay, so um, now I'd like to read um, just uh, three poems from the collection and just make a few very brief comments in the in the few minutes that we have left. So um, I would like to first read to you um, the title poem, which appears on page 20 in Mystical Forest. In the edition, it in fact appears on a single page here but I could not get it to um, fit and have it be readable as such for the purposes of the PowerPoint presentation. So I have it broken on into two slides, but the visual pattern, as you can see here, represents a tree, which I've replicated from Jean's original Russian uh, poem. So the poem reads as follows. Um, it's, uh, it's a simple, uh, relatively simple poem. There is a mountain forest verdant on the slopes, and high atop are dry maples. Beasts dwell there, deep are their dens. Unicorns, too, are to be found. Jewels are hidden in the recesses of the canyons, and wayfarers make their way, sleepless and aimless. Flowers bloom like vivid carpets. Upon them dance children with innocent eyes. In the dark corners, owls burst out laughing, and blackbirds peck at the hemlock. 
In the thicket flourish meanness and magnanimity. Together nest extravagance and penury. The lion and the rabbit share the same bed. Still there too is exceeding anguish. It roars, destroying all in its path and gnaws at the forest called the soul. So um, this poem uh, summarizes, in a way, a lot of the driving motivation for uh, much of his poetry. The forest um, representing a mystery, since um, an individual doesn't know what awaits him or her beyond the next group of trees or in the next clearing. Um, so, and the, the human soul, its inner world and actions being the forest and the mystery, which is at times undisclosed and incomprehensible in its motives to the individual himself or herself. And this um, actually comes from John's own discussion of this uh, title poem, um, on, uh, which appears on page eight of the English language volume. And then finally, I'd, I'd like to read you just uh, two short poems, uh, which uh, describe Jean's relation to his craft. The first is, is called Words. And this appears on page 140 in the book. Words echo in my soul. Who whispers them to me? They compose a line that falls into verse. They're like leaves in the wind, rustling about something. But on reflection, I can construe what they're saying to me. The words spring, love. Good. Their meaning is both good and pure. They sound both gentle and cordial. Their light is beautiful, radiant. But malice, stinginess, enmity, they emerge suddenly from the darkness. They can only be awaited with fear from the twilight of the soul. I know good from evil. A choice is given here. May a multitude of words be spoken to me by Allah and not a shaitan. And uh, a shaitan is a devil or evil spirit in Muslim usage. And finally, um, uh, the, the third and final poem that I'd like to read to you is called Here is All of Me. Um, again, addressing his relation to his craft. And this appears on page 142 in the edition. Here is all of me, naked and prostrate, before the abuse and flagellation. And the judgment that awaits me, I accept as learning. The clumsiness of words and scarcity of sleep. Everything before you is topsy-turvy. You are ready to accept the blame for everything, for the pride burying the remnants. Yet displaying my wretchedness and feebleness, I will still ask, my friend, don't hasten to crush my soul. So again, um, of just a very, very um, representative piece, um, or pieces, I should say, that um, allow us to glimpse just some of the features characteristic of John's writing. And as a whole, I would just mention that the this very unique collection is marked by his lyric turns of phrase, the vividness of his descriptions, his keen wit, the humbleness of his character, his genuine candor, the intensity of his emotions, 
his unwavering devotion to his family, his friends, and his faith. And last but not least, his overwhelming concern for the past, present, and future of his native people, the Dungans of Central Asia. And in in closing, I hope that readers of Mystical Forest, my English language edition of Juan's works, will go away with the better understanding of Juan as a multifaceted individual who is at once the most important ethnographer of the Dungans and a masterful poet and fictional prose writer. So if you would like any additional information about uh, my work with the Dungans, um, including my work with the Dungan folktales, as well as with Mystical Forest, please visit my professional website, um, at, uh, which is on Georgetown Domains at kjy.georgetown.domains. Uh, thank you all very much. And I look forward to hearing your questions and comments. We do have one question, uh, two-parter. It's, uh, they are asking, uh, how did you become interested in the Dungans? And number two, where does your interest in Russophone and Russophonia take you going forward in terms of in terms of other projects? Wow, um, great question. Uh, great questions. So, um, I guess my interest in the Dungans goes back actually uh, to the early nineties. When I was a graduate student in linguistics at Georgetown University, and I happened to be searching for a research topic that would combine my my um, sort of training and interest in Russian language as well as Chinese language, and I happened to come upon this was actually in 1991 an obscure reference to the Dungan people in a different in a different transliteration in a um in a monograph it, I still remember it was a Yale University monograph and um from from there I, I from there I I I knew that it was it was just something so fascinating and interesting and something that I would pursue. Um I wasn't able to pursue it necessarily as a linguistic student at the time. This was sort of the pre-internet age, so there wasn't actually enough information available that I could get my hands on at the time to do anything more than just, I think, a paper in one of my graduate linguistics courses at Georgetown. Um, but uh, And then um, also, since that time, my my interests have some, shifted somewhat more from linguistic to the literary and cultural so that I've I've come to take on the projects that I'm working on now um, in Dugan literature and and culture. And um yes, and um in terms of the second part of the question of uh the the project, so I I've just been so lucky to I feel so privileged and lucky to have come in contact with all of the um leading researchers and intelligentsia among the Dungans in Central Asia. And it's sort of a tight-knit group. So from meeting the one, I've I've had you know introductions to the others. And I've I uh at this point, as you know, I already have published two book projects on the Dungans. I'm currently working on a third and fourth book project. The third project is a um, English translation of a Russian language documentary novel about the lifetimes and works of the best known Dungan prose writer, Arli Arbudu. And that was, in fact, authored by um, the uh, female uh, Dungan philologist Fatima Husevna uh, Makeva, who's herself uh, the, the first female Dungan candidate of philological sciences, and also notably the daughter 
of the well-known Dungan poet, Maka uh, or Hussein Makiev in Russian. And, um, and that will also be extremely interesting, I think, not only for those interested in literature, but also in history, particularly Soviet history, um, in, uh, uh, particularly in Central Asia. And my fourth project that I've been um, working on was came about through my engagement with uh, Makayeva. I uh, found that she had written in Russian a very important monograph uh, about the emergence and development of Soviet Dungan literature, really a one-of-its-kind sort of publication in, in any language. And I have also I'm also working at this point on a um and an English translation of that and also annotations to um to discuss some of the the um post-Soviet um writers since that time. And the translation um as you were going through sort of uh Ali's work uh, were there any particular passages, words that you had to sort of ponder on whether or not it meant this or that? I, I mean, sometimes for translations between English and Chinese, right, this is the meaning. Uh, it's up to the interpreter to sort of interpret what they think that that author, well, if they have you know direct communication with the author, then you could sort of ask that, right? But if it's somebody who has passed away and such, you know, you, you, you really have to take it upon yourself to sort of think what they meant and stuff like that. Did you encounter any of those particular issues in terms of translating Ali's work? Sure, yeah. Thank you for the question. It's a, it's a great question. Um, yeah, this, this uh, project was really the first where I was not translating prose, whether fictional or non-fictional prose. So it, 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 it was a challenge in a lot of ways. Um, but my translation of the prose gave me some confidence in some ways to, um, to try to translate the poetry. Um, it, it is, it is so much more, um, um, challenging in many ways, I think, to be translating poetry because there are so many um, different interpretations of any uh, verse or even line or even sometimes, you know, words. Um, and I was lucky in the sense that I was able to communicate with Jean, who was the, the author of these poems, um, you know, by email or by text, and he was able to clarify, um, you know, specific um, problem spots. But but most of uh, of the of the um, uh, the verse still fell on me, of course, as a translator to sort of to not just not just sort of understanding what the words meant, but to try to. Um, get across the the nuances and the connotations and the style and the the emotionality, really, if you will, and all of these other sort of um, invisible parts, if you will, that are associated with the poetry. And in a way, uh, there's a lot more of that than I think if you, there is, and if you're translating prose. So, um, but oh, absolutely. I, I, I had multiple drafts of, of all of the poems. And sometimes I would put them away and then go back to them again. And sometimes I would, you know, um, and then sometimes I would come to sort of a hybrid version later where I take something from an early draft to something from a later draft. And, and absolutely it, it was, uh, it was a really, really, um, um, interesting and, and really exhilarating sort of process this whole, um, you know, a translation of the poetry. And I, I think, I hope, I mean, readers will let me know that I've done a relatively good job of not just trying to transmit his, um, John's ideas, but also this, his, the style and the flavor of his writing, which is also, 
um, so very um, re- um, notable and just uh, really just very unique in terms of his writing. And I, I know that too, because I also had um, some native Russian speakers read his original Russian poems, and they were also in awe of his Russian language writing. So I realized that I had a, you know, um, a, a, a formidable task ahead of me in terms of producing the English, but I hope I'm able to at least have have um, done a reasonably good job of, of of that. But readers won't let me know, of course. Well, uh, do you happen to have uh, one or two titles that uh, sort of um, gave you a little bit of difficulty, or you, or, or you know, in terms of the poems, uh, uh, titles of uh, which particular poems, you know, uh, you know, the viewers should uh, look into for you know uh, the complexity that you're sort of describing. Oh, um, I mean, uh, I they were all. I mean, some of the poems were a little bit simpler in terms of like maybe the vocabulary. Um, and the, sometimes the structures, but in terms of the actual translations into the English, it didn't necessarily mean actually for me that they were actually easier to translate, interestingly. So, um, uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, even, even just like the three, the, the samples there that, that I sort of show, which were, not necessarily in terms of the Russian and the vocabulary and the structures, not necessarily the most um, complex sort of poems. They, I, I would say that I spend equal or as much time in what might be some of the longer, perhaps, poems or the poems that did have, you know, um, let's say, um, less um, common vocabulary words or historical sort of allusions, just because um, I felt that you know, there were, there were, uh, that, that had this responsibility also of, of also trying to get across the, these nuances that it was saying, or the, or the style or the flavor of sort of what John, John was trying to say in the original poems. Yeah. But I think any of the poems that if they, if people were to see them, and um, I should mention, if people do know Russian, if you go to my website, I have a Dugan Studies webpage where I linked Ali Jean's OK.ru social media page, where he has, in fact, uploaded a lot, many, if not most of these original Russian language poems over the years. So, um, and you could actually see, uh, um, the originals there yeah okay thank you you. um our next question is from uh, nancy erber who asks uh, what is the russian government's attitude toward promoting russo language culture uh france for example has a well-developed outreach in cultural services with grants for translations promoting books and so on oh great uh wonderful question um thank you so, so much for that nancy um the Russian uh, government's attitude, um, there was, a, during the Soviet period, um, as with a lot of the other um, minority groups that did not, that had a language that was not Russian, you know, as part of this Soviet nation-building agenda, when the um, Soviet Union was founded in 1921, there was an attempt to promote the cultures and uh, languages, um, histories of these uh, of these minority peoples, including the Dungans, um, with the um, with the um, different leaders and what has gone in, of course, in 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 during the um, Soviet history, um, there have been um, you know there has been more or less of this, right? You know, of course, it's an oversimplification. Um, after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a period. Uh, from 1991, for most of the 90s, where there was not um, really very uh, much published at all among the Dungans, and I would assume among others, 
of these minority groups in Central Asia and possibly elsewhere just because of the economic situation. Um, and I know just from my contact with uh, Dugan researchers, writers, that the funding continues to be a, a major issue now in terms of these writers bringing their works out to the larger public. Um, so, I mean, I, I think one of the um, saving graces, in a sense, is that is the Internet, in fact, the World Wide Web, that now, in addition to the physical spaces, that there are, in fact, online spaces where these Dungan writers, right, as well as others, can actually put out their works. And, of course, that's becoming, and that's a rapidly emerging field as well, this whole idea of digital humanities, right, which is what um, this um, Rus Rusophonia ultimately also speaks to. Um, and it, and it is, is also part of this conversation about Jean as well, in fact, because Ali Jean, as I mentioned to you, also um, initially published his own poetry on his own social media website, this OK.RU. In Russian, it's Adna Klasniki, which means classmates, but it's one of the very popular social media websites, you know, among those in the uh, former Soviet republics. And, but, and it, it, you know, originally, you know, to reach out to your classmates, but it goes beyond that, of course, other, you know, others who, who also can uh, use and speak Russian. So this whole idea of, um, you know, Russophonia, um, Russophone literature is sort of there. And um, so for the Dungans, I know that a lot of this currently, the promotion of Dungan culture, Dungan, including Dungan literature, Dungan art, falls on the shoulders of the Dungan, for example, Dungan cultural centers or associations of the republics in which they reside. For example, the uh, Dungan Culture Center of, of Kyrgyzstan, Dungan Culture Center of Kazakhstan, smaller Dungan Culture Center of Uzbekistan, um, and, and private funders private funders as well. So Dungans who um, who are, for example, uh, businessmen um, who are and are also supporting the arts, a lot of times are able to um, work together with these writers and these artists to try to bring their works out to a more global sort of public, right? Um, but, um, yeah, so that's sort of the extent, but, but it, it's just amazing how much talent there really is out there among this, uh, relatively small, um, Dungan community of 150,000 in, in all the three republics. And I've also heard that echoed from others who I've talked with about the, about the, um, the work that I'm doing and the works that I'm trying to bring out to the public. And just a technical logistical question. Uh, in terms of uh, getting the book published, uh, any hurdles? And what was sort of uh, the duration of time that it took to sort of just put it together? Since you're working on so many multiple projects, where, where do you find the time? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, thank you so much for that question. Um, so the... Um, I think the most time consuming for me in terms of the actual, you know, actually uh, locating a publisher and then the whole uh, publication process until the book comes out uh, was for the first bo book of mine, which was the Dungan Book Tales of Legends, because of the the time that I, I had to spend sending out uh, multiple publication proposal packages to because I wasn't sure which publisher would be interested in 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 my book so that in itself took um took quite some time uh it, it was over a period for me of really over a few years in fact not that I was sending them out continuously for all of that time 
Um, and then once I found um, the the publisher for the Folk Tales and Legends in, in 2021, it took about, um, a, um, a, uh, I think it was about 15 months from the time that I uh, made that, 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 that the, I, I had the acceptance from the publisher until the book actually appeared. So that's relatively good in terms of timing. With a lot of academic presses, it, it, it will take about two years, I've been told. Um, although it took a little bit, uh, just a tiny bit longer with this, with the second book, The Mystical Forest. It, um, I didn't have the time where I had to search for um, a publisher because I decided to stay with Peter Lang. And, um, but in some ways, the actual proofing process took longer. And a, a lot of that was tied to, I think, the visual patterns that were sort of very difficult to communicate um, in, in, in a way. For, uh, and, all, you know, so th- th- it just it took longer. There were actually the proofing stage took longer. So it took about a year and a half until that from the acceptance of that particular project until that was actually produced. Yeah. But, uh, but ordinarily about two years. And, and you're right. I have to, um, a lot of the work would take, took place for me during the, the little, the winter break that I had and, and or the summer. And then, um, maybe weekends, you know, during this semester, if, if I had time at all to fit in. Yeah. Yeah, well, congratulations on your prolific, uh, you know, <laughs> your publications. Oh, thank uh, you so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, one last thing uh, that caught my eye was uh, one of the poems was uh, took put, you know, the title was February uh, 2020. February 7, 2020. At that time, the world was experiencing the emergence of COVID as a pandemic. Ah, right. <laughs> I, I don't know if perhaps uh, Ali wrote any particular poems about the pandemic at all, what was going on in, in his neck of the woods. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So that the global, I think the global pandemic occurred, I think, right at March, right? March of yeah, 2020. Yeah. You're right. So this interethnic um, conflict, this Dugan Kazakh interethnic conflict was actually a, a month before that. Um, so, oh, just to let people know, though, that 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 uh, Kord, that um, Kordai region where there were actually riots and and fire set and everything, and it actually has been rebuilt since. It actually has, um, I think, you know, with uh, with the help of the government, and I think also some private sort of funding has actually been totally rebuilt. Um, in terms of the COVID, that that's actually an interesting question. Um, the latest poem that I was able to include in the collection is from early 2021 because that's when I already had to send in the the finalized more or less finalized manuscript and um there weren't that many though poems that I think that he wrote even in 2020 and in in 2021 so no the answer was no he actually did not specifically write about the covid pandemic um, which would have been interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, for, for whatever reason, he, he didn't actually, uh, uh, write about that. So, but that, that's an interesting question though. And I know among the other, that is actually, um, an issue that's often discussed, for example, among the, uh, indigenous peoples of of Russia, for example, the Tungus peoples, who I'm also trying to get working on pro- and some research projects on the, the Tungus peoples, the Udigia, the Nanai, where it actually had a significant um, effect on the, on, on the, de- de- the decrease in their populations, because so many of the indigenous peoples died after the pandemic. I, I, I do know about that. And if, even well-known like writers and researchers among the, the Udigia, for example, I know passed from, from COVID. Um, but, but yeah, not, not, but that's interesting. Not, not so much on the, um, on the Dungan or the Central Asian side. I, I haven't actually heard about that, but now I, I'm actually thinking about that a little bit. <laughs> well, within a month's time, you know, I, I thought, you know, 
perhaps he might have written something. Maybe you could text him later. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think I will, right? Something exactly. to ponder about. I want to thank uh, Professor Yin again for a wonderful discussion. Uh, you can purchase a copy of Mystical Forest online from the Peter Lang website uh, for $89.95 in hardback or ebook formats. And the link is available on Professor Yin's talk page on our website. I also dropped into the chat uh, Professor Yin's uh, website as well. With that, uh, have a great evening. And remember to be an upstander if you see a fellow person in need. And have a good weekend. And thank you very much for joining us. Have a great evening. And thank you very much, Professor Yin. Thank you. Bye.